Elementary school calculus teacher's log, star date 41509.1. Today was one of those days they don't train you for at Starfleet Calculus Academy. I was in the middle of my lesson when Harry burst out of his chair and ran into the hall. His father, who insists on coming to class, followed him out. I don't know what calculus did to Harry, but he sure does hate it. Finally, I got control of the class, and then suddenly, boom, students start disappearing left and right. And not just any kids, but the good kids. I mean, I have a list of children I would gladly donate to the cause, but they took the talented kids, and now I'm left with the remainder. At least calculus can't hurt Harry anymore. Welcome to Re-Engage, the weekly podcast where we watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode, as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of Gen X adults returning to the series we loved as kids to see how it holds up. So, do your homework, and let's re-engage. Welcome to this... Our production, our production, our episode of When the Bow Breaks. So excited to go through this with you. But of course, first we have to meet our cultural bridge officers, starting with Mr. Greg Tito. Hello, Greg. Hi, Kate. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you doing? Very excited to uh, get back to all of that angst I felt as a child. Yes. So many feelings. I just want to be myself and play some music. <laughs> I don't want your world, Dad. <laughs> you, can't, you don't own me. And of course, Eric Gratton. Eric likes to fall down and do things, and we love to talk to him about it. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty good. There there was a, a general dearth of pratfalls in stage combat altogether in this episode. It was disappointing, but... I tell you, they went overboard when it came to the guest stars. They figured we got a bunch of ridiculously cute kids. We got to cast some Hall of Famers here to come in for one episode and take it all together for us. Absolutely. I'm excited to talk about those guest stars, some of whom uh, are just surprising little cameos in the distance. Yeah, uh, Jimmy G, how are you tonight? I am doing exceptionally well. And my big question for the evening is, what color uniform do cultural bridge officers wear? Purple. Ooh. Ooh yeah. You don't I like see any purple. purple uniforms. Purple is good. And we have a guest on today's podcast. We are so excited to have him here uh, from Star Trek Discovery, Noah Averback Katz. Hello to you. How are you today? I'm doing so well. I'm bringing the millennial perspective to this yes. podcast. I'm here to end time. businesses or watch vines or whatever the hell millennials <laughs> are supposed to do now. Honestly, I can't remember anymore. Uh, but, I, but I'm ready to really shake things up. That's awesome. Yes, I I think Noah, if I'm in I think I'm correct, you were born in 1988. Is that correct? I was No, Memory Alpha is wrong. They're adding another year on. I already yelled about this on another podcast about how they they made me from Los Angeles, which just drove me mad because I'm from Northern California. And now they've given me another year onto my life. So I was born in 89. 89. Oh, good year. So yeah, an excellent year. So this episode had not even uh, aired. Was, was well aired way before we yeah, got you. This was this was already in in syndication by the time I was born. Oofta! Wow. That just that just makes a girl feel good. Ooh. Yeah, well, just you know, just wait till you get Ian on a podcast and they're nineteen, being like, I know what TikTok is, and I'm like, Oh no, this is bad. Oh, no. This is oh, really no. bad. Wow. Yeah. Once so- you start talking to people, who understand how to use Discord, then you know things are really, really they've gone wrong uh, absolutely yeah and as soon as you've heard about it then it doesn't matter anymore that's what i'm finding i'm still like sea shanties let's go oh that's over that's okay okay forever three memes behind uh, that's yeah, funny exactly oh my gosh that's so a good no, name for a podcast <laughs> yeah, three memes behind i love it no we've talked a lot uh in our podcast in the past about um how we all came to trek and we all came pretty young um some of us to original series i came to it with next generation i was 12 when it came out uh and it just 
changed my whole world. Uh, Where do you come to Trek from? So my mom grew up on the reruns of the original series, uh, like many, many people uh, did as well. And then sort of was, you know, fully back in with Next Generation. And then when I came around, it was basically like, you know, it was very similar to this episode where it's like, instead of being forced to learn calculus, it's like, you're a Star Trek fan. Not just, you don't just watch it. Like, you are a fan. Like, she would throw me in the car and we'd be driving somewhere and, like, everything would be very unfamiliar. would be like, Mom, where are we going? She's like, we're going to a Star Trek convention and you, we're already here, so you can't turn around. So there was no, you know, no question about it. I was a Star Trek fan. I really, you know, when I sort of came uh, of age, it was sort of at the, the back end of Voyager, but I really watched episode to episode the first time for um, Enterprise. So that's really my, you know, my formative years are are with Enterprise, you know, with the metal hull plating. Uh, but, you know, obviously, you know, no Star Trek mental library is complete without Next Generation. So I'm, I'm obviously a big fan of, of this as well. And I've seen, um, you know, most of these episodes as well. Well, we are so excited to have you here uh, and to uh, give us this younger perspective <laughs> on this show. Uh, we've got the older sp- perspective. Mm-hmm. We've got Jimmy here. So uh, luckily, <laughs> now we've got the generations going. And of Fantastic. course, occasionally gr- we have Greg's uh, two daughters do a Kid Trek um, wow. section. Where Is we'll that, have they just, they're just constantly dunking on you guys the whole time. <laughs> I wish they were that uh, snarky, but they just love to see. They're just excited about uh, the episodes as much as I am, and they're like, "Oh, I get to be with Dad." And That's kind of awesome. I'll take that. That's good. We got to set that little quote aside for six or seven episodes from now, when that all turns. <laughs> oh, yes, when the skin of evil. Yes, <laughs> I wanted. Yes. I wanted to say, Noah, I, b- growing up on Enterprise specifically. I mean, it must have been such a thrill to play an Andorian at that point. Absolutely, like, you know, they were so big in that series. It, it's it was so amazing to get to play an Andorian because they're such an iconic Star Trek species. But there's so little lore, you know, especially in comparison to like you know Klingons or Vulcans, where you basically have like college PhDs written about them and then you just have Andorians which is basically just like somebody like put spray paint at Jeffrey Combs blue and was like just do something anything just just go Jeffrey please and he was just like alright like I'm just gonna make it up as I go and he basically like single handedly creates the the Andorian identity you know basically since DC Fontana wrote her memo like however many years ago um, and so it was amazing to you know get back to go, go back and watch all those episodes of him uh, and then sort of be like, man, I am totally screwed. I don't know how I'm going to like continue this lineage. He's going to be so angry at me. Uh, and, you know, we'll find out. We'll find out once I meet him in person, you know, if he just like sort of gives me the once over and just sort of gives me a cold shoulder, rushes past me angrily. Once your mom abducts you and takes you to a Star Trek convention again back when the pandemic is over. It's totally going to happen. <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, when the bow breaks. Uh, Stardate 41509.1. This air date was February 15th, 1988, the day after Valentine's Day. So romantic. Uh, Had a Nielsen rating of 10.2. The number one song... Uh, on the radio was seasons change, people change. Thank you, Expose, for reminding me Holy of that moly. beautiful wow. song. Right, just a few weeks ago, I think we were into Tiffany's "Could Have Been." So this was a very angsty time. Like this was a very um, ballad. Billy Idol, Billy Idol, right before that. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, that not so much fits in with the ballad theory that I had. Angsty, though. Angsty. Yes, yes, yes. But this was an era of uh, of really beautiful um, sort of heartfelt pop that was meant to be listened to as you drove to the mall with your pegged jeans. (laughs) 
<laughs> I did a whole episode of a podcast once where the, it was an, someone who was the same age uh, and they were like, man, we pegged all the time. We were so into pegging. <laughs> Everybody was into pegging. That's a millennial like, thing, you guys. That's our yeah. thing. Uh, the pegging is the millennial thing, guys. You can't take that from us. We were so innocent back then. <laughs> Uh, our number one movie. Uh, uh, oh gosh, what was it last week, Eric? Because it's the same this week. All I know is this. Let me try this again. Yeah. February sixteenth, the day after this episode aired, was the debut of the John Waters masterpiece Hairspray. Ooh. Uh, in in the news on that Sunday, the twenty first, uh, televangelist Jimmy Swaggart gave his "I have sinned" confession on national television, oh, wow. where he said, uh, "I have sinned against you, my Lord, and I would ask that your precious blood would wash and cleanse every stain until it is in the seas of God's forgetfulness." As he wept, having been caught with a prostitute. Oh, <laughs> good thing um, you know that's not happening anymore. We don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> They figured that one confessions? out. Confessions, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> getting getting caught in some weird tryst as a televangelist, you know, this doesn't happen. But you know, somewhere out there in parlor world, there's a podcast devoted to uh, right wing conservatism, and somebody celebrating that was the moment when we were given the apology, from which many apologies have uh, been born. <laughs> Yeah, inspirational. Yeah, inspirational. It's, it's inspirational to someone. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I used to I used to do presentations of Tammy Faye Baker for my family. I would borrow my mom's mascara and just cake it on and then cry for them for it amused me for hours. <laughs> During this time period, I'm sure. During right? this time period. No, true story. We had a, a two-story house and the guest bedroom had one of those um doors that opens to look out over the living room and i would use that as my performance balcony and make everybody <laughs> sit in the living room and watch me uh and i was prolific i would watch that again i would i would see a comeback of that show hell yeah i'm i'm impressed kate that that you you picked up what i think is unique in physical comedy history which is uh, someone who has a face so distinct that we have to use our splayed hands to represent her, her eye eyelashes. Lashes. Yeah. And that is a universal sign for Tammy Faye Baker. <laughs> and that's impressive. I found out, I did not know Jimmy Swaggart was caught in 1991 with another sex worker. And this time, the only thing he said to his congregation was the Lord told me it's flat. None of your business. <laughs> so he went from like this major Amazing. apology tour to, yeah, talk to God again. We double checked. He says, none of your fucking business. He's cool with it. He's cool. <laughs> Mary Magdalene, yo. Haters. <laughs> well, let's get us into this episode, uh, written by Hannah Louise Shearer. Uh, and Hannah actually pitched this idea to DC Fontana, our good friend DC, as mm -hmm. a way to better use the idea of having families on board the ship. And this uh, led to her being invited to join the writing staff. Uh, which is pretty amazing. And that's super cool. And this really is that first episode. We we see this the kids in the background. We get the families. Um occasionally they bump into people's legs and have moments where they throw snowballs. But this is our first real chance to get to know some of these families on board. Which is uh because it's an interesting take. Yeah. What do you do yeah. with families in space? And, and Eric, you said there wasn't a pratfall, but there is one in the first scene. Oh, it's a good point. When the kid's running up and there's that awesome <laughs> sound effect. Did you guys notice that when he runs and hits Riker? It's like a, it's like a Foley artist, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they took a, they took an empty water bottle and just like bones breaking. The it's whole so time good. that um, kid has a concussion. That's why he's like, I love drawing now. Drawing. <laughs> That kid, that kid in particular has some, has some face acting that is incredible. When they, when they first drag him off with his new family, he looks back like what his suggestion is just call the police. Like he is, he is asking for help with every fiber of his being. It's beautiful. Absolutely. Uh, a, a hard episode, I would imagine, to direct because there are so many children in mm. this episode. Uh, there have been interviews and, uh, that have said that Will Wheaton actually took a, a leadership role 
uh, with the kiddos, which makes sense as the as well, sort of two the of oldest them were kids. His, his siblings. Yes, I was about to say two of them were actually oh, his younger siblings. A couple others were the wardrobe kids. All of them uncredited and unpaid, by the way. <laughs> yes, yes. Unpaid. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the one that I got most excited, besides Will's um, uh, younger brother and sister, Jeremy uh, and Amy, uh, is Mackenzie Westmore, who is the daughter of Michael Westmore, who was the uh, makeup supervisor. He's an amazing special effects uh, supervisor. Um, And he and Mackenzie, uh, who grew up to be a uh, an actress herself have this fan had this fantastic show on for a while called Face Off, mm. where they would put um, makeup technicians and give them you know ma- makeup effects challenges and things like that. It was fantastic. I highly I think, recommend. I it. think Doug was a guest or like a guest judge on that. Yes. Doug Jones, yeah, yes, yes. So- oh, super cool. Of course, that's perfect. Yeah, they bring in they bring in a lot of um, you know creature actors to to. Um, critique their work because they're the ones that have to work underneath all of that. Yeah. It's amazing stuff. But yeah, I feel like they were pulling children off the street for this episode. <laughs> just like, Yo, do we have to pay you? Okay, fine. We're good. <laughs> uh, this episode was directed by Kim Manners, the only uh, episode that he directed, but he later on went, uh, he later went on to produce the X-Files and Supernatural some excellent bona fides. And the thing that I was most excited about, uh, besides, of course, X-Files and Supernatural, was he directed episodes of The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., <sighs> one of my favorite <sighs> hidden gems of a show, Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Come on now. He nailed it. He <laughs> nailed that show. It was such a fun, campy, like, doesn't take itself too seriously, but also told some really good genre stories. Uh, yeah. One of those, like a Firefly or something like that just should have gone on much longer. Agreed. Agreed. There was such a kind of rich history of comedic Western stuff to draw from, and it was so nice to to marry that with kind of the Star Wars space uh, exploration kind of mythos at the same time. It's just beautiful. You know. It's like Wild we- Wild West. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yes, the, the rich tapestry <laughs> is uh, a little worn in some places, I suppose. Uh, you mentioned, Eric, the amazing guest stars that they have in this episode, oh. um, starting with the amazing Jerry Harden uh, playing, uh, let's see, he was Radu, is that right? Radu. Um, yes. Yeah, Radu. Uh, we'll later see him as Samuel Clemens, uh, or Mark Twain, uh, in Time's Arrow uh, here on the next generation. And he is probably most known, at least by me, uh, as playing deep throat <laughs> on X-Files. But I mean, best known for, for what, what an amazing career he had and has had. Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, you, you talk about, uh, I mean, one of the first things you, you go to, if you're our age is of course, X-Files, that's just the way it works. But I mean, you go all the way back to, I mean, he, the, the dude is in, um, I, I, I uh, God, I'm 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 blanking on it right now. He's in what's the the great fucking uh, <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China? Yes, yes. Like he's, he plays he plays fucking lawyers in every major movie you can think of in the '80s and '90s, and he's just fantastic, you know. Yeah, it feels like going back in time, and then I'm like, wait a second, this, he feels like he's always been old. Maybe this is just where I was in on the generation <laughs> of watching. I'm like, man, this is so long ago, but he's got that that vibe as the old, uh, you know, saw always. And then, of course, we have Brenda Strong, played by uh, uh, who played Mary Alice Young in Desperate Housewives, probably what she was best known for. Um, uh, most recently, seen in Thirteen Reasons Why, uh, and for me, my heart. Pulls. Uh, she was Sally Sasser on Sports Night, one of my favorite shows uh, of that of that time period. Uh, I had forgotten she was on that. Yeah, she was also in Spaceballs. She was the nurse at the end. <laughs> it's kind of a boob joke that she kind of is doing the whole time. But I remember being like, "Whoa, okay, yeah." That's it was right at the the same era. We did we talk about like one of the episodes used a, a, a matte painting for Spaceballs. So it's yeah. in the right, same era of it happening. Oh, that's so incredible. So here we have this beautiful episode that starts in an unusual way, at least for a next generation. 
Oh, oh, what, what? Who did I forget? I want to. I want to talk about Paul Lambert, oh, who yes. was the the uh, music teacher mm. that Ed Asner teaches music. Right? <laughs> this dude was. I mean, speaking of Ed Asner, dude was on Lou Grant. He did. Uh, I mean, stuff from the forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties. The guy was on TV a lot. But I want to talk to you about his like three lines and I'm out career because. We're talking Apocalypse Now, Spartacus, All the President's <laughs> Men, American Graffiti, The Godfather, and The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are wow. Coming. Wow. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me th- with this guy? Thank you for casting him in this Star Trek episode. <laughs> it's so great. Uh, in one of those movies, those three lines were just, I am Spartacus. So that one was easy. <laughs> <laughs> Now do it again as Tammy Faye. <laughs> <laughs> Three of those laughs. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jimmy, MC. Jimmy, take a MC. picture really of it. Really no, it was too slow. <laughs> Apple ship four. Apple ship four. <laughs> so this is the first time in Next Generation that we start with an interior shot of the ship and not uh, an establishing shot of the outside world. And as we've already said, we have oh. uh, our one pratfall of the day. When uh, poor Harry, what's the what's the hurry, Harry? That's what Riker says. It's the hurry, he really Harry. chews on it too. You, you can tell that he's like, "Oh yeah, I've got some alliteration, baby." <laughs> Today is Frakes' day. I'm not going to have to be on set a lot. I'm at the beginning and the end. In the meantime, I'm just I'm just chewing on this H. <laughs> <laughs> And they had to establish again that he knows the names of every child on the Enterprise. Which, uh, Noah, we've decided is because uh, Riker knows every single mother on the ship as yeah. well, for yeah, sure. Yeah, he's like, is that my kid or not? <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to meet all of them just in case. Yeah. I didn't watch this constantly Harry. doing math, but we'll go with it for now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you, you guys, Harry does not like calculus. That is a fl- fight or flight uh, <laughs> thing that he is doing. And I don't know what calculus has done to him, but my goodness. I remember watching this as a kid and being like, why is he learning calculus? Yeah, no kidding. Correct. He's like, what, eight? Right. Is that just like what the future is when you're in the 24th century? <laughs> you learn math yeah. early? It's all STEM, motherfuckers. <laughs> you get stolen by aliens when you can do calculus at exactly. eight years old. I, yeah. I still don't even know what calculus is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like regular math, but there are more squiggles in odd places. Yeah, I'm, I'm out. I know it comes yeah. after algebra because it starts with a C. There you go. I remember noping out of, I had like a pre-calc class that I started in like junior year of high school. And I'm like, you know what? Nope, I'm not doing this. I can't. This is just I'm too out. much. And you I pulled a real Harry. That was a real Harry. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I was inspired by him. I ran into my dad. And... <laughs> so that's confirmation that Harry is the son of Riker. I think Greg just gave us that. So we can move right along. It's canon. <laughs> yeah. It's canon. Yep. <laughs> uh, we 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 learn then that we ha- uh, are getting strange signals, which t- talk about my dating life. Am I right? Strange signals. <laughs> um, but we can't find where these signals are coming from, and suddenly it dawns on us that it might be the lost planet of Aldea and Riker has y'all a super hard on for this planet. Like I cannot believe how excited he gets. It does make you think like, he's going to be like, yeah, this is like, this is sexy Riza. This is where like it really happened. He's like, yeah, it's a cool planet. Nobody's heard about it. And you're like, what's, what's going on down there that you want a piece of Riker? I'm not sure I trust this. They give him a walk down that, stairway he like he's the 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 one wearing the dress at the ball everyone's been waiting for or like he's just discovered the fountain of youth and he's walking into its glow it did have like a indiana jones type of thing to it we're like oh the lost city of aldea like we'll finally get that piece that the museum wants i don't it, it doesn't really hold up because it's it they kind of shove that off plot wise right. uh that it's this loss I, mean, I guess they do talk about it with the the shield and all that but you know, it it didn't seem to hold the same dramatic power that that opening tries to give it. Yeah, well, it's in maybe maybe it's a, a contemplation of that idea of expectation versus reality, right? Because mm. we've got this oh. 
this idea of, uh, ooh, ooh, I just had the great, which then ends up happening on the planet too, right? Because then the children start misbehaving and they're like, we don't know what to do with these children. So they had expectation <laughs> versus reality. I just cracked it. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was perfect. <laughs> All right. Next time Tasha dies, right? <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? We're not there yet. I like her. I'm just asking Jimmy. It broke baby I think I'm hosting that episode. I think you are too, and I am not looking forward to it. I can, I can tell. I can tell Jimmy's the guy who's rooting for the black ooze. I, I get that impression. <laughs> he really sees himself. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's a greater story there. Yeah. <laughs> What were you going to say, Greg? Oh, I'm just going to say that it goes on to uh, this. The, I really do like the reveal moment of of the planet, right? Yeah. Like actually getting to see it. It is a nice crescendo of music and, and uh, it's a weird effect, uh, at least in you know, this remastered version that comes in. You're like, oh, yeah, you can kind of believe that this was a cloaked planet. It was a new kind of uh, idea for Trek at the time to be like, all right, well, we've had cloaking devices for ships. But here's an entire planet that could be disguised this way. Uh, although, uh, Troy does, I think Jimmy, you brought up this point that the Troy does figure out like, Oh, why doesn't everybody have a, a beta where you can sense planets sense hidden planets. Uh, and also these came out while I was in college and our drinking game was you have to drink every time a character does something that is uniquely them. So of course, every time Troy says, I feel something. Oh yeah. That's a drink. Uh, make it yeah. so you had to finish whatever drink you had in hand. So that <laughs> could be uh, a troublesome evening. But yes, it does beg the question, why does not every starship have a Betazoid? And it's demeaning, but, you know, anytime you're getting near Klingon or Romulan space, you just say, bring up the Betazoid. What do you feel? Are they around? Sense it out. I I think that while we have eschewed math uh, very loudly over the last several <laughs> minutes, that space is real big. And knowing where the hidden planet is to stop and ask the Betazoid is uniquely this situation as opposed to other ones where you're just flying along. And you're like, all right, stop. Is there, is there a planet here? <laughs> it's like playing Battleship in okay, space. No, okay, go. go, 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 stop. You know, that, that doesn't seem to be a, an effective methodology. Yes, very, very sound reasoning. <laughs> I don't know. Fuck it. I want to be this way. They appear, I love the way they appear on the, on the deck, too. So surprising. Uh, and they know Riker's name, and he, y'all, he's pissed. <laughs> Get my name out your mouth. <laughs> he gets, his hackles get up, though, you know. Uh, oh yeah, the hackles get. <laughs> I don't know where that voice came from. Yeah, the, the um, Minnesota. The way they they transport is very Star Trek disco. I was very excited to see those personal transporters. Yeah, I was like, okay, here we go. That's that's totally. that's more my speed. Give me some of those personal personal transports. Yeah. Enough with the brooms and stuff. We don't need that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking when I when I saw the planet unmask itself, like Greg was talking about, that it looks so similar to that effect of uh, like the Romulans un unmasking their ship, you know, uncloaking. And don't you think that when we get these cloaking devices, that some engineer is actually going to code that into <laughs> the the turning off of the cloak? Because you're not going to want to just flip it off like a light. You need that little wave, don't you? Somebody's going to write that code. And it will be an homage to Star Trek when they do it. Thousand percent. <laughs> like the flip phone. Can they do it, though? Like, it's more like a star wipe. Like, it starts from the middle of the planet and then just like. <laughs> wrong franchise. Wrong franchise. Oh, shoot, shoot, shoot. How dare you. <laughs> I know. I told you. I come from a split family. <laughs> oh. uh, so, the, so we've got. Um, I don't know if you noticed who was on board the ship um that was you know he may not be allowed up there very often but wesley was there uh and uh he gets suddenly um scanned by a golden spotlight which was uh which was disconcerting to say the least uh and then he says something like it was scary but i didn't feel anything um which is how i feel after most auditions like it was scary <laughs> but i didn't feel anything 
I can't remember anything, uh, nor do I want to. Uh, <laughs> but we definitely know something's not quite right when we get this golden scan of light. What, what did we think of the golden technology? Yeah. Golden technology? <laughs> Let's not. Let's not. Yeah, no. that's like a Gen Z sex no. thing that I want to know about. <laughs> right. it's like, what are, are we going to see the P tape now? <laughs> yeah, it's very clear that somebody's just like blasting a light in Will Wheaton's face and he's just right? like, this sucks. This is horrible. He was doing the, uh, Jimmy, what's the, the movie from the 90s where they get kidnapped? Uh, the fire in the sky mm. uh, pose yes. too. It, leaning into the light <laughs> yes. a little bit. It was nice. It was nice. Is that a Peter Berg movie? He's in it, but he didn't direct it, if I remember correctly. You are such a human IMDb. I love it. <laughs> it stops like a hard stop in 2011. <laughs> like, I am so behind at that point. I think that's when I got depressed. <laughs> you hung on for a long time, man. Know, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. <laughs> but then they take away the babies. The they children. take away the children. They take away the children. Somebody think of the children. But uh, they only take seven. But they only take the most <laughs> special seven. Seven. The ones, the ones who are really good at shit. <laughs> to start their civilization. How do you think the rest of the kids felt when all right. and everything was over? They're like, so wait, like. Dad, explain to me again why they didn't take me and they took Harry. Like, just, right. just run it by me one more time. It's that I'm too special. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> right. Right. You know Harry's a bedwetter. It's true. <laughs> Calculus makes him very stressed out. And they've somehow been able to extract in their through, through their uh, using of the golden light uh, that what these children will be good at someday potential a potential light yeah and not is it this coincidental that they happen to be really good at the very thing that the parents who are available to raise them are good at well that's why they only need seven <laughs> that's they only need seven we have music a custodian person a woodworker <laughs> and a person who manipulates cubes our society will be fine is saved and wesley <laughs> yeah and don't forget yeah, he's wesley. a custodian caretaker <laughs> We find out uh, that they have a, a, a saying, for whatever is taken, something is given. Mm. Uh, so they have taken the children and they feel like they can give and impart knowledge in its stead. Uh, and Beverly uh, says a, a no to that, <laughs> amongst others, amongst others, of course. Uh, uh, and, and what did we think of the children disappearing? Very much Thanosy to me, uh, yeah. before Thanosy. But, you know, we have this instant moment where suddenly everybody's dematerializing. Can you dematerialize? We'll say yes. I think you can dematerialize. I thought that the the woman who played uh, Toya, she was really making a meal of the disappearance. It was very, it was very like you know, uh, uh, almost like it was like a, a soap opera. It was like you know her big moment to shine. She was yes. really, really chewing the yes. scenery, and she didn't look around she <laughs> looked where her daughter had been and kept saying the name to an empty space as opposed to looking around the room to see where they might have gone perhaps it was very interesting she also had the best 90s hair Absolutely. it was teased for jesus it was so good <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Picard has a beautiful moment where he lays into him very justifiably uh, which made adult me very happy um it was just very uh i, I think greg you talked a little bit about this episode um bef before we came together about mm -hmm. this episode in particular hitting really differently for you now uh versus then uh when we had 10 year old greg yeah. uh but now we've got we've got daddy <clears throat> greg I don't think I, I, I mean, obviously as a child, I would not have identified with the parents really at all. Like I kind of was just like, <laughs> oh, they just got beamed away. Like it's not that big of a deal. I don't understand. But there is something that I don't want to be one of those people who's like, when you have kids, it changes you. Um, but you had that little bit of like just panic whenever your offspring are in any kind of danger. Uh, you've seen 
probably lots of uh, uh, you know hidden camera type stuff of like dads doing like superhuman things or women uh, and mothers doing superhuman things to try to avoid their kids being injured or hurt in any way and I started to feel that when I was watching this episode for like the first time uh, having that like oh gosh like what would I do if all of a sudden these my, you know my, my kids were just zipped away from me and there was nothing I could do about it except go and talk to the captain in the conference room uh, but that panic um, that is evidenced in that conference room scene was felt really uh, true and real to me. And I, I really gave it up to the performers as well as the writers to be able to to kind of get that going. And then I think Picard having that justified anger moment, you're right, definitely made me feel like, yeah, fuck yeah. Like, what you did was not okay in any sense of the... Some species might be okay with, with losing true. children. Yeah, but not, <laughs> not us humans. We, we really care about it. And uh, yeah, it, it really hit differently. Greg, what if I were to give you information and knowledge in the form of like three sets of encyclopedias for your two kids? I think I'd be cool with it. Yeah, you know, that's fine. That's actually real bad. Because, you know, you got to think of this species as a whole, right? Is it a full set? I mean, wait, wait for wait. You're you're coming out ahead. Are they all the way to Z? Wait. Is it all the way to Z? Yeah. Is mm. it Encyclopedia Britannica or is it mm. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that we're talking about here? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Encyclopedia Galactica. Galactica. Think there, about you that. there you go. There you go. Yeah. Not a good um, exchange. Really. Not at all. Yeah. The parents, the way they reacted was, was great. I thought that uh, the kids having to myself that uh, the worst behaved kid there was uh, so perfect. I would not want to have anything <laughs> to do with that child. <laughs> Like they like even when they're being like really like when Harry runs away, it's in an innocent, cute kind of way. <laughs> and it's like that's not how kids are. Like kids, like when that dad got mad in real life, that kid would have done something that's really <laughs> like super annoying. Like you see, this is what I'm talking about. The kid does it all the time, and at the very end, the same kid's like, "But you still have to take calculus." Okay, Dad. <laughs> that kid would have been like, <laughs> "No, I'm not." Like, like, throw it down. Like, oh, well, I'm not going to eat it ever again. Wesley told me that that's civil disobedience, and I'm not going to do this. Like, <laughs> that, I mean, that is Harper. It. That is your daughter, Harper. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh, just tonight. <laughs> just tonight. <laughs> what? What you drinking, Jimmy? <laughs> I'm drinking a, a lovely little crowler from Good Society right here in West Seattle, located directly across the street from my daughter used to go to school. <laughs> Before she was kicked out for her hunger strike. She was kicked out for her <laughs> For not temper. taking calculus. Uh, that hunger strike thing is so dark. Oh, I love it, though. He just teaches them passive resistance. Oh. It's wonderful. It's so good. Oh, and but it works, right? It stymies those adults. Like I poof, they won't what eat. We do. Blah, make them what eat. What I wanted what I wanted was because Wesley's so much bigger and he, he could probably hold out longer. I wanted him to still be relatively all right, but I wanted a couple of the smaller ones to be like staggering around and running into furniture and shit. Wesley, I'm so hungry. Don't do that. Yeah. They're very well behaved for Wesley. I think they're really trying to impress him. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. I have to say there got to be a point where that impish sweet little ginger haired child that little redhead got too Alex. she got too cute and I was done with her I was like no too cute like, Stop it. <laughs> Alex is a survivor y'all she transfers allegiance to the biggest person in the room whoever it is yeah no, she, she's like this is where I'm going she's got prison yard rules yeah <laughs> <laughs> And the kid who was playing the uh, the Simon Says, as Greg called it, I didn't know she was sad until she told me she was. Like she played the music. Oh, it's so sad because that's how I feel. I didn't get it. I didn't get the sadness, little girl. That's why the line was there, Jimmy. Yes, that's true. Because I need to be told that music right. was a Learn little the line, sad. Say the line. Oh, I that's how it works in my house too. Jimmy, the kids are sad. That's why they're crying. <laughs> that's why they're crying. <laughs> uh, one little note though about that music theme. It's the same. That's from uh, uh, the fifth episode where no one has gone before. It's the traveler theme being played awesome. on the Simon. So she was probably there in engineering and 
hung out with the traveler too. We just didn't get to see it. <laughs> well, maybe she's special. Can I talk about another in canon thing that I think has to be true? That? that sure. When when these people uh, came over to the Enterprise and and thereafter quickly scanned the children and stuff, I think it's interesting to note that the Enterprise clearly scanned them too because they were like, oh, that looks kind of like Jerry Harden. I like Jerry Harden. I think I'm going to put him in the holodeck when it comes back time to do Mark Twain. And that's how Mark Twain looks exactly like this guy because it just reminded the casting program in the holodeck (laughs) that it was a perfect... That should be canon. <laughs> Absolutely, they're always they're always just picking interesting people yes. that walk through the the halls. I don't somewhere. know. I, I think the casting program is probably pay to play, so he must have like you know gave him some money or something like that to get in on it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, oh, that's amazing. About these 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 people from this planet, I'm so confused because like, are they humans? Like, what's going on? You know, like, they don't look any different. They don't have any special anything. They just are, like, idiot people. That's, like, the only <laughs> vibe I got from them. They're just, like, you know, like, like the, I was, the, the whole time, I'm, like, why didn't they, like, just put a stripe on their head or something? Because I'm so lost. Like, are, are they just, like, human? You know, are they humans? Yeah, I thought that they were humans, that they were, uh, you know, like, some early travelers, and that was the planet that they had. Uh, but I guess that would make sense if it's been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. Right. If if they didn't know the right. ozone layer stuff, then it's like, oh, I guess you right. guys can't be humans. <laughs> right. They've always been dumb. It's idiocracy. <laughs> it did say like it was thousands of years that they've had this technology. Yeah. So yeah. it's definitely, you know, uh, proof that uh, aliens built the pyramids. Really? Right? There you go. <laughs> right. Asian astronauts. Ancient astronauts. Say so. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this planet is also weird because they kind of gloss over it in the in in the script that like their entire existence is ruled by this computer. Computer. The custodian who was set up by the janitors. <laughs> uh, Wesley asks about it and they go, the custodian is not a human. And then they don't keep going there. Yeah. They just let it let that right, pass. Right. It's very ominous. This this custodian behind a closed door. I love that moment where he asks, like, how is it powered? And she just kind of, well, I don't know. I don't know. Because I, I, I there I'm thinking Soylent Green is people. Right. Like I want <laughs> this uh, planet to be eating children. And that's why we can't keep them on hand. Yeah. There was a moment where I thought it was maybe like a Wizard of Oz type story. Like there was uh, an entity behind the door or something like that. And that, the reason why is because it's the, the computer, who vo- whoever is voicing the custodian kind of is a dick, right? Like he, <laughs> he adds a lot more inflection than than our, uh, you know, uh, Majel Barrett does as the computer. Right. He also does that thing where it's like, can you do this? He's like, yeah, I can. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll just do it. You you know know what I wanted. You know what I wanted. May I go use the bathroom? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm just glad that Wesley finally has someone to answer his one billion questions. Because they're tired of answering those questions on the ship. Shut up, Wesley. I was waiting for the custodian to say that. Shut up, Wesley. Uh, There's a beautiful little, uh, we're always looking for beautiful data moments. There's a beautiful little data moment uh, where they're they're realizing on the ship that they're going to need to stall for time. Try to figure out a way to get these kids while uh, pretending like they're negotiating. And uh, Picard makes up this bullshit ordinance number for why... Mm. uh, why I think it's for why uh, Beverly has to come down with him or, or, or something to that effect. And data afterwards says there's, there's no such thing as that word. And he says, Oh, I know. And he says, Oh, I see. And then there's a beat and he goes, Oh, I see, sir. And it's that wonderful <laughs> moment of mechanical realization that the game is afoot. And I love it. It's some, it's some great code written by Dr. Noonien. So <laughs> <laughs> That triple take, you know, it's, you know, try to make him more human. He's, he's writing those little subsystems. It's fantastic. And is this the first time that Data realizes what a bluff is? 
effect, you know, Ooh. for like oh. the, the poker theme that ends up going oh, on I later on. I can't wait on. to get to the poker. You know, I feel like this is where he's like, oh, oh, and it clicks in his head a little bit. Like, <laughs> you don't have to do it, especially in a, in a situation sure. like this where you don't know what cards the other party is holding. And I really like the um, going back a little bit to the the why the Picard needed to delay that that scene with him and Riker, uh, you know, having that quiet moment uh, mm. in the captain's chair being like, I have to get them to keep talking because otherwise we're fucked, basically. And he's like, I'm just going to keep delaying as long as I can. And I thought that was a really uh, strong kind of intention scene because, you, you know, you don't really necessarily have um, an actor just be like, I'm going to be portraying this for the rest of the of the episode right now uh and and talk through it and it just felt very i don't know it's very very real it's very hamlet talking to horatio yeah. right the play you is know. the thing yeah but i one of the things with data being obsessed with lying uh in in that moment is is such a great thing that is in kind of speculative speculative storytelling forever and that's the thing that wants to be human is fascinated with the lying aspect of humans like it's it's the thesis of pinocchio you know you you go into you know caliban has a whole thing about it and we talked about ambassador town not too long ago and like uh, Bishop has moments like that or Ava and other like Android recent ones. And it's just so cool that data just has that little moment in this episode. And you're right. It comes back Greg with the poker stuff and with the uh, lore when he comes back as well, just that whole data fascinated with lying. I love it. Uh, speaking of lying, we have this moment where uh, Wesley has to surreptitiously get a scan of that old lady. Uh, and he, y'all, he is so smooth. That is so painful. <laughs> that is just so painful. The, the insert that they did where it's like they put the thing in his hand and we see it. It's like, oh, my God. It's like I feel like I was getting assaulted by the editing where it's like, we know what's happening. We, we get it. Happened. And then he does a full song and dance around her in the back. It's just like, oh, my God. We we get it. We really, really get it. But somehow she doesn't. I don't yeah. Know. What an idiot. That's well, that's that whole thing. <laughs> Idiocracy. And he hams it up though too. Like he, it's the first time he's nice the entire time. Right. And you're like, dude, you're playing your hand too. Don't do that. I would like to play poker with these aliens. It's true. That does seem like a, a, a nice way to make your rant. Yeah. What do you think of? I, I found myself just a little bit torn because, in some ways, you know, yes, we took the children away, but we're giving them the opportunity to live in the arts. Isn't that what we want? <laughs> oh my Harry God. Are you saying this thriving. was an anti progressive episode? You're like, look what happens. It's absolutely. They know what they're doing they're definitely torturing these kids like you get to yeah you get to have a career in the arts it's like oh no we all have a universal basic income everything's cool here we're protected by a shield do whatever you want to do mommy i don't want to that that little laser that that sculpts wood has been appearing in my dreams fortnightly for like 25 years now that i want it so if if it's a you know progressives are idiots thing give it give it to me i'll i'll jump sides i just i want a little laser that makes dolphins out of a big block of wood done make it so thank you what is it though what is that thing we don't know what a fish is i like the fact that they they just are very casual about our oceans used to have fishes anyway everything's fine on this planet smoke (laughs) no reason to leave though <laughs> All the fish are dead, and we can't have babies. But I'm sure everything is fine. We just need seven of you. That's all we need, seven. <laughs> We're not yeah. good at math. Have we mentioned that? It's, <laughs> it's like, all right, the, the all the oceans are devoid of fish, and we know it. There's a bunch of people here, maybe, but, like, don't go behind that door. Nobody's, like, <laughs> got to, like, open the door to see why there's no fish. It's bizarre. And also, we don't get any exterior shots on this planet, do we? We don't actually know. Mm-mm. It could be a freaking hellscape Well, don't out they there. live underground? I thought it was the whole thing. They live underground. That's why they don't like the light. We see outside through those super futuristic geodesic mm. domes yes. that they like to put up there to both mm. suggest hundreds of years in the future and 1967 <laughs> to 73, somehow equally. <laughs> it's yes. a retro future. 
They took Buckminster Fuller with them on their space. <laughs> they <journey>. did. <laughs> it's wise. It's very wise. While the ozone on Earth was still fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know how seven kids was going to viably like revive, you know, get their planet like going again. Like, don't they have any thought that like that's just you know that's not enough? If you're going to steal kids, steal all the kids. I mean, come on. Yeah, even if they're not the best ones, like the ones that are on the planet now, you guys aren't the best. <laughs> you seem like you are the. Maybe that's why they did it. Like, look, they took us, and this is what happened. Look, we don't have ocean. Look what we got. The fish are all dead. They probably only had that many parent volunteers. Everyone else is like, oh hell no, I'll just die. Screw this. This is good. I'm having yeah. a great time. I can't have kids. It's, you know what that it's means? Quiet. The buffet is always easy to get through. <laughs> no fish though on the buffet. Sam. So I'm <laughs> So I may be wrong, but I feel like this episode might want us to learn an environmental lesson. Maybe. It's they're very subtle about it. It's it's barely even noticeable that that might be one of the uh thing takeaway items from this. Well, th- this is the era of Amazing Grace and Chuck, and uh, the the uh, what's the other one that I was thinking of today in in that regard. Everything was telling us kids that the world was going to end, and it was right. And uh, it seems like there are about half as many mainstream ones about gl- global climate change as there were in the late eighties. Wait, what? Am I wrong? Half of one what? What? Movies. Oh, and, movies. And movies, TV shows, things like that. Like that there were only six shows on at any given time at this point. And it felt like one of them was going to be about acid rain and the ozone layer and things like acid that. Rain. And now you got to go searching for the progressive shows to find the ones that are focusing on Well, in 88, kind of everybody in believed Rogan, Reagan could like put on his armor suit and just fly up in his face and fix it. And now, you know, everyone's like, screw it. It's over. We're done. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll watch something about chess or something. I don't have time for this. Put on how many masks? Yeah, exactly. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. It is weird, though, how cyclical things are because my, my oldest daughter is very much into, uh, you know, saving the planet and she's kind of had an epiphany moment a few years ago they're like wait a second whales are endangered i love whales i want she's going them. back to the 90s save the whales baby yes. yep. yeah, yeah. And I, I remember i was like so encouraging of that i'm like i was you i was you from watching star trek from watching all of these <laughs> these things that eric is mentioning how it was like hit on every single time and i fucked up i didn't do anything about it i recycled a lot more than most maybe I don't know but <laughs> I was a big recycler I just all I did was buy plastic so that I could recycle just purchasing plastic plastic there's another lesson in here uh, Kate too about like what, what, listen to your kids do what you want kids want to do like there was some angstiness uh, from that angle as yeah. well yeah yeah Harry and his father we sort of already mentioned it like they come to a mutual agreement very easily and very quickly <laughs> which maybe a kidnapping will do that for you it puts everything into perspective that's true that's true but basically it's like i'm gonna be an art major okay but you still have to take math okay and we're fine like it, it we we right. see uh, we see a, a relationship fall apart at the beginning of the episode and it comes back together by the end that's delightful. Yeah. All brought together by a wooden dolphin. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Well, in the kidnapping, like you yeah, said. Well, in the kidnapping. <laughs> in the kidnapping. Uh, but I felt that dad, too, where he's like, the last time I, we talked, I yes. bit his head yes. off. And, you know, I. I and I I'm going to s- win the argument when I see him next. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have the last said, word. <laughs> let me finish. <laughs> Reestablishing dominance yeah. is very important at that point. So, what do we think of the big, uh, the big plan? Right, uh, we get towards, we get to the end, and uh, we are able to sneak onto the planet uh, by sort of distracting them while we're beaming down. You beam down at the same time, um, parallel beaming happening, and then they uh, they're able to sort of break into Custodian and stop Custodian from fulfilling. Yes. It's all made absolutely believable by the mere fact that Radu asked Captain Picard to talk to the children that they've just kidnapped. (laughs) As soon as he asked that, 
anything that happened after that is absolutely plausible because like Noah said, these guys are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they bungled it. They didn't even bother bringing phasers with them. They were just like, we'll, just, right. we'll, we'll tell them we're in your mind and they'll just be like, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> doesn't Riker go back at the end? Riker and Picard go back at the end and Riker does have a uh, phaser on his hip. And I remember, like, oh, I don't think Picard's. He's not. Uh, he's not. You know, gunning up there. They're packing. He's not packing like he did a couple episodes <laughs> ago. Like, because you know, Picard, he knows where the armory is and how to get in <laughs> and very get all labeled. Get <laughs> he has up. heard yeah, the sound before. Sound, yeah. So uh, yeah. when they don't go down, it's like, oh, that's interesting that he's not packing. But I guess they knew. Because <laughs> really. It's it's like tipping cows at that point. It's, it's, <laughs> the door the door was ultimately unlocked, and all you really needed to do was have kung fu grip to open it, and then you could defeat yes. the custodian if you had to. Well, it's like you said, Eric, when uh, Picard gives the the little eyes about, "I'll keep Radu busy while you guys get down there." So it's all uh, there's there's shtick yeah, coming. It's all a bit of uh, they're like you know what. The last R&R didn't work out. Let's try to see if we can stretch out this time. <laughs> and poor Riker didn't get any sexy planet. No, no sexy planet. I mean, we don't know what that. Are you gonna do? We don't know that. <laughs> we didn't really see him fly away so much. You know, there was a bit of Someone, downtime in there. Someone's going to have to teach them how to have kids again. <laughs> once, the, once the radioactivity is gone. What's that? They, 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 they were such idiots. They forgot how to do it. They were just like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, right. they're dumb. They are dumb. <laughs> Teach us, Riker. Teach me your ways. <laughs> so, what are our what are what are our takeaways from this episode before we uh, before we call it quits? Uh, well, we didn't talk nearly enough about Troy's comment, uh, so I just want to read it out loud because there's the, the the sentence is broken up into two. That might be acceptable to some other races, but uh. So that's the first part of the sentence. So, but, uh, um, so I want to talk about that implied antithesis that trading our <laughs> trading kids for goods might be acceptable to some other races. I find this very interesting. What races? Which Klingons. races would be a fine with that? Because Worf certainly wouldn't be. <laughs> well, Worf. Oh, because he's only because be. he's half human. So that's why. Because no, the human side humans. makes him raised by humans. <laughs> He's raised by humans, right? So. I'm saying in universe at this point, I think that's the type of thing they're implying. Yeah, Ferengi, Ferengi. you know, yeah, yeah. The, All the, bad the, guys. the races that they've always been implying are less. Yeah, but I find it. I would have loved to, that to go down that hole. Like, hey, let's talk about this, Troy. Who who are we talking about? <laughs> I mean, uh, pure sci-fi then, universe too. You could th imagine there'd be like a a, a race that's. Uh, has lots of offspring, right? That has like hundreds and thousands right. of offspring and, and it's okay because they're like, oh, it, it's better to seed more planets. It's how they populate. More, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You could you could imagine that maybe. Sure. Yeah, that's I wanted to see that conversation because you can imagine <laughs> it. So it would have been great to go down that rabbit hole. And then uh, uh, and humans are unusually attached to their offspring. Yeah, that's unusually attached to their offspring. So this takes us to Star Trek Picard. Can we talk to her about her and her kid? Are you now unusually attached to your daughter? I think that Troy's projecting her relationship with her mother right there because it's very much like, you know, they have a very difficult back and forth. So she's like, you know, this is my experience and I'm just putting it out there for everybody. <laughs> my lives in experience. But her mother's Betazoid, not human. Well, she doesn't care. <laughs> she's, she's so single-minded about her relationship that that's all that matters to her uh invasion and then on those two the, on that note i i was looking back at my notes and i realized that uh i typed in for uh the i feel something and the drinking game i put instead of is a real drinking game I put israel Israel ah. drinking game. Israel drinking game uh, is a lot less fun, actually. Yeah, it's not good. And then for this last line, the um, that might be acceptable to some other races, but I put uh, two B's in the butt, so that actually read <laughs> might be acceptable to some other races, but two two in the butt. You put two B's in the butt. <laughs> two T's. This is all say. happening. Oh, two T's in the butt. Two T's. And that was all before the crowler. <laughs> uh, Greg, what about you? What, what's your takeaway from this episode? 
I, it's certainly a nice uh, episode all of overall. I, I actually really like the ideas in it, even though there are, um, you know, questionable plot things as far as who the uh, uh, is the smartest of the of the group here, uh, whether it's the humans and in the, in the, in the Federation or, or the Aldeans. Um, but it was really interesting having this duality of what I remember watching this episode when I was a kid and not really understanding the parental, uh, uh, you know, point of view and then watching it now and having been like, Ooh, gosh, yeah, that this, the, the stakes of this episode were completely different depending on, on who I was uh, and watching it. And that's, you know, hats happened a few times as we've been watching these, but this one was very, very different. And I, uh, have to say it's been, it's been pleasurable to go back and kind of revisit that. Nice. Eric, what about you? I uh, I I think I want to talk really briefly about that that cross that Riker made down towards uh, Picard on the bridge when they revealed the planet because yes. part of what it was was they kept those big blue eyes in focus the whole time and matched his pace and the focus pulling was fantastic and all the way down through it was this beautiful piece of television made possible with the dolly camera and you know all of this wonderful shit that they abandoned more or less as an industry about 10 years later because it's so much faster to work with handheld and then they brought it back in the star trek uh television universe in the last five or six years doing a lot more smooth transitions like that and i'm really happy to see that come back into the kind of visual uh vocabulary that the star trek series use and uh it was nice to have that reminder today of just that one shot nice that's a good opening no what about you what do you take away from this episode gosh you know i feel like all those parents were so creepy when the music man was like leading that little girl out it was like in you know it's it's like i know i'm supposed to be like whatever but like this is just creepy as hell (laughs) this is the creepiest thing i've ever seen Uh, everyone's way too (laughs) close to each other they're too close to that kid like even even without the pandemic going on like you are in his personal space (laughs) you're being really weird and creepy it's making me very uncomfortable you guys are all idiot like creepy idiots are like some of my least favorite people you know what i mean so like i was like i don't like any of you and then the custodian was just like a big like colored lamp and i was like man just blow that thing up and then the worst part is you know they have all this they have all this technology you know they can like blast them light years across space and then i don't think they ever get it it's like do do we not you know like we'll help you like stop using aerosols so you can fix the ozone layer but we're not going to give you this thing where you can like send a shooting star and blast you to the delta quadrant so i was very disappointed with um with that and i'm you know i'm glad that all those creepy idiots are stuck on that planet and don't come to ours <laughs> fair enough fair enough well said. I, th- I think my uh i have two takeaways uh one is that that classic ending where everyone's laughing behind picard's back because he has that little doll and can we talk about what that toy actually is besides is a, a, a living nightmare is it like <laughs> a weird like a tribble, right <laughs> yeah a that's tribble, what right? i thought yeah it but it had a like, face right Right, like a troll doll. Oh, it's upsetting. A tribble. Does it? Is it? Is it? Is it like uh, the little shit from uh, Dark Crystal? A tribble with a face fizz gig. It does make you think. Like, how did it stick to him? Because it doesn't look sticky. So it does feel like the face had bitten into his arm. The next episode is going to be like you know, like it's killing him, and we can't remove it. Uh. And I have to confess that this episode was very uh, instrumental to me. Uh, Noah, I think you've picked up that young Kate was very into Wesley Crusher. Uh, (laughs) Just maybe a little bit. Um, Uh This episode inspired me to write uh, maybe the world's first fan fiction. It was 1988 after all. Um, And I had a whole episode planned out in my head. Uh, Now, I knew that I I wanted to be the actor hired in this role to play next to Will. Um, And it was a whole scenario where the ship got taken over and the only people 
people who could save them were the children. It involved Jeffrey's tubes. Mm -hmm. Like, it was a wide-ranging affair. I'm pretty sure that this was not early fanfic. This was early slash fic. (laughs) There it is. Slash fic. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. Uh, And I I lived in a neighborhood that Gene Roddenberry had a house in, and I used to walk my dog outside of his house every afternoon, hoping that he would see me so I could tell him about my episode. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah, so that's my that's even my little touchstone. You just made you wear a skirt. (laughs) A very short skirt. (laughs) Yeah, is is that restraining order he took out on you still current, or (laughs) is that expired? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's fine. The dog wasn't even alive. You were just dragging the dog. (laughs) (laughs) It looked very much like that creature attacked attached to Picard's back. So, well, and Kate, I have to say, this episode they actually used Will Wheaton uh, in a way that was was not annoying he, he <gasps> solved the problem without being demeaning or to an adult or in some way making the adults look small so that you can make the character of wesley crusher look big he was just a kid acting like a kid and doing what a kid might do and it was actually refreshing to see the character written in a in, in a way that wasn't you know um gene roddenberry telling you how you should think about him um, it was, it was uh, refreshing. This is a big moment. Thank you I for sharing like that. I feel like I'm growing. I do too. Wow. Uh, I it's think like it's Harry. the fourth beer talking. Let's be real. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on this episode. Noah, thank you. Oh thank my gosh. Thank you for having me. So amazing to have you. My and pleasure. to get your perspective. <laughs> my As- pleasure. I'm good. I actually need to go keep practicing my uh, my. Jenga Scrabble music device, <laughs> twist it, bop it, music play, or or an old man's gonna come over and sit right next to me and tell me to play something happier. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope you'll join us next week. Uh, next week's episode is Home Soil, so we hope to see you for that. And in the meantime, let's get our pants wet. Let's wet those pants. Let's just wet them. What? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being with us on the bridge for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek shenanigans. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Insta. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down on Twitter and Insta. Jimmy D is, of course, at the Jimmy G on Insta. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito at Instagram. Reengage is edited and mixed by Krista Curry. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo underscore 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for the saucer section to re-engage.